Hi, and welcome to this webinar with me. My name is Anthony Hilda, and we're going to be looking today at the walking through the wilderness season. So I've got some slides that I'm going to try and fire up, and hopefully this will all work well for those of you who are able to see. Um, I'll be sharing my screen in a second. Um, and just where you are, just from you know the chat box, or just let me know who you are, where you're from, where you're where you're watching from, what part of the world. Um, it's great to see so many of you and some names I recognize and some names I don't. So just feel free to say hello in the chat box, which you should see at the bottom of your screen. Um, so let's see if I can get something up for you and hopefully you'll be able to see this. It should be filling the screen in a second. Um, right, so. There we go. Let me know if you can see these okay. So there we are. <clears throat> so um, we're going to be looking at walking through a wilderness season. And um, obviously that's something which all of us are, um, you know, prone to do and have to deal with and uh, I think that um, it, it's something that so many of us have, have different seasons in our life so many of us have um, you know wilderness seasons that because it just kind of uh, cut across what we do cut across our life you know disappointment pain uh, sudden things happening that we're not aware of sudden things happening that are um, you know just painful for us in as a whole um, and I, I want to just talk a little bit about those things and just what we can learn from them the, the spiritual lessons spiritual insights um, that we can have to to make the most of, of spiritual seasons um, the um, just again just where you're from just for some of those who are just dialing in um, please just let me know that you're you know hearing me okay uh, where you are from who you are um, just to kind of get a little bit of um, response is great for me and um, just you know it's obviously good to hear as well what sort of things that you maybe are feeling like in your uh, your wilderness season um, I can see some people from uh, some America a couple of people from the UK there's some people from or other places in Europe. So we've got a good eclectic mix. Um, the seasons is something that we all need to deal with. And for example, you know, I'm from England, from Britain. So we have a season called autumn that in America is um, you guys called fall. And so seasons, you know, there's fall, there's cold, there's wet, there's hot, um, but we have a bit more fancier names. I'm currently living in Scotland and it feels like the seasons we have here are wet, wetter wet and cold and then summer is one day that's not wet so season is something that we all live with wherever we are in whatever part of the world they may just look very very different so when we think about seasons in our life when i'm using that term what i'm meaning really is it's the changes in our phase of life it's those moments, those kind of weeks or months or years that kind of have a flavor or have a character to them. And, um, you know, we can have seasons that feel like they're fruitful and seasons that feel like they're wilderness, which is what we're talking about today. Now, what do I mean by wilderness season? I'm, I'm talking about those times in our life that feel dry, that feel desolate, 
feel unfruitful. Uh, maybe they feel lonely. Maybe they're hard work. Um, there's the sort of times in our life that maybe there's a sense of suffering or pain, um, whether that's kind of because something's happened to us or sometimes even because of things that we've done or not done. You know, in, in wilderness seasons, you could be asking questions like, God, have you forgotten me? Or God, what about your promises? God, how do I end up here? Have I made a mistake somewhere along the line that's brought me to this point? It's those times of life where you just have to grit your teeth. You, you kind of have to dig in and a lot of words will be either said to you or you'll kind of be having around your mind about things like perseverance and endurance and steadfastness and wonderful words that, you know, are great when it's easy to say to other people, but not great to always hear when just things are not very good and things are tough. But the good thing about wilderness seasons is that um, if you're having a wilderness season or you've had a wilderness season, then or you're going to have a wilderness season, which we will, all of us will. Again, we're in good company because when we can look at the scriptures, we can see that Abraham experienced them. Moses did. David, Elijah, Jesus did. The apostle Paul did. So wilderness seasons are normal and they are beneficial. They're still painful. But that doesn't mean that God's forgotten with us or he's done with us or he's finished with us. So the key question that we need to be thinking about and uh, the things that we need to kind of hold on to, irrespective of what it does feel like in our season, is why do we have wilderness seasons? But most importantly, how do we make the most of them? And so I, I think I'd love to think about the Hebrews who had the wilderness season of wilderness seasons, and it's probably where it comes from. Uh, we look at the Exodus and see what sort of things that can teach us about wilderness seasons. So, um, you know, just to kind of set the scene, as it were, about 1500 BC, there was, um, you know, the, the people, uh, the, the Hebrews, the, the Abraham's descendants, they were slaves. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And Moses comes along and, um, you know, let my people go. And there's tussle with Pharaoh. You know, you know that there's uh, plagues, 10 plagues in there. And finally, there's a, you know, a to and froing, and there's a relenting and, and um, Pharaoh lets the, the, the slave population, the Hebrews go, lets them out of Egypt. And, you know, the book of Exodus records that story. Uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy record kind of like the before uh, journey in the wilderness, the during wilderness experience and kind of the post as well. And, you know, we see this kind of transition and this journey of, of slaves coming out into freedom and learning what that freedom means in, in kind of connection and relationship with God. And then as they come into and, and led to the promised land. So, you know, whenever I think about that story and I think about wilderness seasons, there's four things about the wilderness that I have always found helpful to know and cling on to. And, uh, you know, whatever your current experiences with wilderness seasons, whether you're in one or you're coming out of one or, you're, you, you know, you know people who do, um, four things that I hope would encourage and give strength um, to, to you and, and the people around you. So the first one, so the first of my, my four things about the wilderness is, number one, is the wilderness allows God to direct us. It allows God to, to direct us. If you think about the story, the Israelites come to the Red Sea and, you know, they come up to this Red Sea, like, right, how are we going to cross this sea? We don't have boats. You know, it's a long way round. What do we do? And 
to make things more interesting as well, there's the Egyptian army right behind them. They're being pursued by an angry, uh, basically, military who want vengeance on all the things that have happened in Egypt. So the only way out for them is death. It's either death by pointy, jabby spear and sword and Egyptian army or death by drowning in the Red Sea. What do they do? And then we know the story. Scripture tells us that God parts the Red Sea and he shows them he's with them and makes a way where there wasn't a way. Now, when you think about that, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? That's kind of incredible. You're like, what? Here's a question for me, for, for you. And maybe this says, shows you what I'm like. Maybe you guys are not like me. And that's not a bad thing at all if you're not like me. If you're standing or if I'm standing in front of a giant body of water, a lake, a sea, an ocean, whatever, and it suddenly parts, are you going to walk through? Because, you, you know, obviously an easy response is to go, yeah, sure. But obviously you also be like, what if I start walking and the whole thing comes crashing down on my head? That's what I'm thinking. Now, granted, if I've got an army who are going to hack me to pieces behind me, I'm more likely to take my chances with the water. But the point was that they came to an object at a move, like an obstacle, which became all of a sudden not so much of an obstacle, although still quite a terrifying thing to walk across. But there's still an army going behind them. So they still only had one way forward. And it was a kind of like, are you going to move forward and risk dying or are you going to stay and die? Sometimes we can find ourselves hemmed in in life. Maybe you feel hemmed in. You feel like there's no way to go apart from forward. And it's not a particularly pleasant way forward. It's not what you want to do. In fact, it feels like it's a bit of a deathly moving forward. Maybe like the Israelites had, you know, walking through the Red Sea that's parted, terrifying, scary. But sometimes we're hemmed in. And I want to say that actually sometimes that's what God does. God hems us in. Because Psalms 139 verse 5 says that you hem me in, you're behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The author of the psalm saying, God, you hem me in. You go behind and you go before me. You lay your hand upon me. You basically cover and protect and make sure that there's really only the one way I can go. Because sometimes God limits our options, so we only go one way. And even if that way is painful in the moment, it's actually, it gives God an opportunity to show us what only he can do. And I wonder if Psalm 23 is a little bit inspired by this. You know, we love Psalm 23, lying down on pastures and, and, and a feast before my enemies and all this kind of stuff. But actually, it talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's a difference there because it's not talking about the valley of death. It's talking about the valley of the shadow of death. There's a difference between a valley of death and a valley of the shadow of death. Pying a sea isn't conventional. But the way God provided the way forward wasn't convenient. It, it didn't have it didn't lack risk. And so sometimes when we're in a wilderness season, we can face a choice. And maybe it feels a bit like the Israelites. It seems like the choice in front of us is this. Do nothing and perish or embrace discomfort, even severe discomfort, but still walk forward. I actually want to suggest that maybe sometimes sometimes this is God's kindness to us to stop us from turning back to our old way of life. Um, for my own life, for example, I had a wilderness season 
2007. Um, I was working as a, an associate and executive pastor in a church and things kind of came to a point where it was the end of that season and uh, I actually resigned the role. And um, I was a bit like, right, what am I doing? I'm at a total crossroads, no idea. And um, I ended up going with um, to South Africa and um, basically with a friend and um, just kind of uh, you know, a guy that I know, uh, a really good guy, and just kind of a change of scenery. I thought that would do me really good. Um, and um, so, you know, that was fine. And whilst we were in South Africa, I was in, I was in South Africa. It was all very nice and lovely and stuff. But it was, you know, a place where away from my norm, God started just talking to me. And, and sort of, you know, these things were kind of going through. And I was having ideas and thoughts. What am I going to do in my life, et cetera, et cetera. And I had this thing coming up to me, which was basically just repeatedly, repeatedly, like almost every conversation I had with random strangers who met me and were introduced to me was talking to me about basically um, getting qualifications in coaching. And I was a bit like, no, I don't know. don't know if I want to do that. don't know if I want to do that. And I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But I wasn't getting any other options coming forward. I wasn't being pursued by other churches for roles or, or anything like that. So I was a bit like, I don't know what to do. And I don't want to stay and do nothing. Um, and to cut a long story short, I was praying about it one day going, God, what's your direction? What's the way forward? Even though I had this thing rattling around my head about coaching and studying coaching, getting the diploma in coaching. And whilst I was praying, I was at the bottom of my garden of where I was living at the time. I came back to the house and the mail had arrived, the post had arrived. And there's a pile of letters and, you know, some were bills, brown envelope, try and ignore that for a little bit, you know, a white one, you know, drunk marketing. And at the top of the pile was a syllabus or a prospectus from a college. And right on the top was coaching diploma, you know, applications open now kind of thing. I mean, pretty clear, pretty evident, like the, the, the way forward was made clear to me. And it got to the point where I was like, okay, this is a bit uncomfortable and I don't really want to do this, but you know what? If I don't know, I feel like I'm actually being disobedient in a sense. And ironically, considering exactly what I do now, which I coach leaders, I coach people and I coach churches, that sort of step and that guidance has been pivotal in what I've done in my career and my ministry since. So here's a few questions then just to kind of chew this over. Um, when we're in the wilderness, we can embrace the wilderness or we can fight the wilderness. If you're feeling hemmed in right now in your circumstance, your situation, and you feel like, oh, yeah, I can't stay, but I don't know what to do. But actually, there is kind of something to do. Is that actually God shepherding you? Is that God actually leading you? Sometimes, and maybe I've done this as well, we can be dismissing a, an option because we don't want to do it. It's not what we want, but actually it's God's way forward. And sometimes deep down, we actually know what we need to do, but we're fearful of acting. We're scared to take the, to take the risk. We're scared because it seems like it's something that is unusual or out of the, out of the box or, or other, what would other people think or, or just our own insecurity, but it's actually time to step out because God's making a way. So I want to just put those things to you just to chew over as we're talking about it. So the first thing about the wilderness is the wilderness actually can be a place where God directs us. Now, I'd love to be hearing more of what you think. Um, questions are, are fantastic. Um, uh, this is being recorded. I want to remind you that and it will be emailed so you can go over it again. Um, but there is a Q&A box and a chat box. So please, yep, I'll be answering questions as we go or towards the end. Um, and I definitely want to make sure that this is something serving you. So 
give me some thoughts, give me feedback. It's great to hear that so that I can make sure this is tailored to you and serve you um, for sure. So my second point about the wilderness, if the first one is talking about direction, the second one is the wilderness allows God to shape us. The wilderness is a place of shaping and of change. So um, what I want to say about that is that the, the wilderness that the Israelites, they were 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years. Now, I did the maths on this. The journey from Cairo, which is the capital of Egypt, and, you know, that's just in Egypt. I, I just picked a random or kind of major Egyptian destination. But Cairo and Egypt to Jerusalem is 450 miles. OK, 450 miles. Now, I live in Glasgow, uh, which is uh, or in Scotland, which is kind of, you know, three quarters and a bit up of the United Kingdom. Um when you go down through England and then you get to the English Channel and then you get to France, well, just in above France is the Channel Islands, Jersey, Guernsey. If you're from Europe, you'll get it. Um, that is 450 miles. If you're from the US, then California, and I might be wrong here, so someone can maybe correct me. I used to live in North California in a place called Reading, and I had family that lived in Fresno, um, which was kind of past San Francisco. And it was about you know, a third of the way down. That was, if I remember rightly, a journey of about 400 miles. So we're talking 450 miles, which actually, you know, numbers are like, well, what does that even mean? It's actually a six day walk nonstop. So if you, you know, a normal walking, a normal pace, normal healthy person, nonstop, it'd be a six day walk. So if you walked in during the day and you slept at night, you're looking at 11 or 12 days. So the journey from Egypt to the promised land should have taken them, let's say, two weeks because they would have children and, and different things. OK, but it took them not two weeks, but it took them 40 years, 40 years. So what was going on? What was all that about? I would say I think it's because God needed to work within them. He needed to shape their character. And he needed to change their thinking because they had been living as slaves. They'd lived as slaves for generations. I think 430 years, I think scripture talks about, they were a slave people. And he needed to change their thinking from, no, you're not slaves anymore. You're not slaves to Egyptian masters. You're actually my people, my children. And God had promised land for them. And he promised, give them a promise. But if they had a slave mentality, they wouldn't know what to do with this land. They wouldn't know what to do with kind of cultivating and, and, and ruling it and, and expanding it and making it their own. They'd squander it. They'd spoil it. They'd miss out on opportunities. And I think it's true for all of us that um, sometimes when things that we draw our identity from are gone, our insecurities reveal themselves. If we lose a job that's been a big part of our life or we have a relational breakdown or a marriage breakdown or there's a change, a transition of, of you know, all sorts of different things, things that have become so sort of stable and assured and, and part of our life kind of being gone, as it were, bring out fear, bring out anxiety, bring out insecurity and doubt and all these sorts of things. And and. You know, if we're really honest, the words insecurity really is a polite way of saying fear. It's fears. Now, Romans 8 compares fearful thinking with thinking like a slave. And I don't want to say that to put any shame or, or, or judgment on anyone who uh, has any fears at the moment, because we do. I do. Absolutely. You know, um, it, it's absolutely true that, you know, kind of when we feel vulnerable, we get scared. And, and, and that's a normal thing. And, and obviously what God was wanting to do with them is to kind of 
in effect, address their fears so that they realize that what they're fearful of and scared of weren't really valid in the sense of things to be truly fearful about. Wilderness seasons prune us of things that we may hold on to too tightly because God wants to renew our mind to change our thinking and shape how we see things. It's uncomfortable. You know, do we go with it? Do we yield? Do we let God do what we want to do? Or do we try and accelerate through it? Do we try to get out of that wilderness season as quickly as we can, try and take a shortcut? And you see that sometimes, I think, in my time, and I've worked as a pastor in different settings, in small churches, in bigger churches, in mega churches, and still the same thing you see is that sometimes people are in a wilderness season. God's doing something in them, but you can see they're trying to escape the wilderness. They're trying to speed through a process without actually letting the Holy Spirit do the work in them. That is what God wants to do. They're trying to embrace shortcuts because none of us like pain and we want to kind of avoid pain. Let's think about Joseph in the Old Testament, you know, um, in, in you know, the end of Genesis, uh, uh, like sort of 45 onwards. Joseph is cast into prison. Uh, you know, for, for he didn't do, he didn't do, but he's in prison and he interprets dreams of, you know, he interprets dreams of the, the baker and the cupbearer to Pharaoh. And as they're released from prison, he's like, remember me, remember me. He's trying to leverage his way out. He's trying to kind of almost get people to get him out of prison rather than waiting for God. And it says that he's actually in prison still for another two years. But then suddenly Pharaoh himself summons him. Now, here's my question. If Joseph had gotten out two years prior, would he have ended up before Pharaoh? I wonder if God's ending of the wilderness season is better than our ending of the wilderness season when we try and get out of it too quick. The Israelites leave Egypt. The Egyptians give them treasure to make sure that they leave for good. Take our gold, take our silver, take our stuff. Don't come back to us. Stay away, stay away. And later, Moses, he's gone up the mountain. He's been up the mountain a little bit too long, uh, in, in their eyes at least anyway. And whilst Moses is gone, they're like, he's probably dead. They're probably dead. Oh, and they get a bit impatient and they take the treasures that Egypt had given them and they make a golden idol. Make a golden idol, they worship it. And obviously Moses comes down and is raging. It's like, what have you done? You know, the people, their fear caused them to make some crazy decisions where they took what God had given them and they turned it into something bad and unhealthy. Now, later on, that gold that made an idol becomes the gold that's used to make the Ark of the Covenant. Here's my point when I'm talking about that. What the Israelites considered valuable was actually repurposed in the wilderness. See, in their own hands, that gold, that treasure became dangerous to them. It became a snare. It became something that even replaced God for comfort. As soon as they were like, well, what's going on with God? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? They used it to make an idol. But under God's direction, in God's timing, in God's way, it actually became something better than it was. The gold was better with what God made it, which was the Ark of the Covenant, than any gold platter or cup or dish or trophy or, or whatever. It became a mark of blessing from him to them. So sometimes in the wilderness, things that are precious or important to us actually can be changed in readiness for a new season that we're going to come into in the future. Now, the funny thing was that change might not look like uh, being seen or being valued by others, actually. You know, things that were like 
we were really good at or we were really known for or we were really drawn from or, or people seek us out for all of a sudden seem like overnight they've become not important or not valued or not respected. What sort of things? Well, things that can change because of wilderness seasons could be relationships that we've got, you know, uh, connections, for example, networks, positions of influence can become literally gone from being an influential role with authority and, and, and uh, uh, you know, kind of all the things that come with that to being nothing, whether the role itself changes or we lose the role, you know, Um skills that we've got become seem to like could become obsolete or experience or knowledge gifts anointings favor they can all shift they can all change because god is actually saying yeah i want to do more with this than you think but you need to let it go so that i can mold it so it comes back to you with a new form that we would never have recognized or received or favored so we wouldn't have actually embraced so for example in 2000 i had this sort of thing for me I was in a wilderness season because I was working in a job I really didn't like. I was working in corporate banking. I was working in business management, basically. I really wanted to be in paid ministry. I knew there was a call on my life to, to serve the church, to serve leaders, to serve believers. And um, I was working in an office and I was wearing a suit and shirt and tie every day. And I'm doing things with numbers. My boss was a nice guy, but he also was a you know, one of those blunt, no nonsense, straight talking, painful. Whenever he says something, you're like, oh, mate, subtlety, diplomacy. He didn't know what those words meant. And I was his assistant. <laughs> so you can imagine what it was like with me and him. Um, he wouldn't let me take shortcuts and he wouldn't let me coast. And he was always prodding me and provoking me and challenging me to be better, to get better, to learn more, to excel. And, you know, it was a pain. It was so annoying. I felt like I was being nagged and I was being bullied and I was really, I just disliked it so much. But in hindsight, I can look back and be like, oh, I learned about organizational leadership. I learned about clarity and I learned about vision. I learned about how culture can help or hinder momentum. I learned about team dynamics. I learned about structural thinking and strategic thinking. I learned management skills. I learned analytical skills. I learned about developing systems. I learned about developing processes. All these things that are really not very sexy in the slightest at all. But what am I doing now? I'm helping churches. I'm helping organizations. I'm helping leaders do those very things. And, you know, all these years later, 2000, so 22 years later, um, you know, actually what happened was 15 years later after that, 2015, I ended up stepping into a, a, a kind of high level ministry role, um, which was a, a significant jump up. But guess what the skills and abilities I had that were the ones that they wanted and wanted me to do? Those ones, those organisational thinking stuff. Sometimes God takes some gifts, he takes abilities, he takes passions that are valid and great and good and intrinsic to who you are. And he puts them on hold, not because he's punishing you, not because you failed, but because he wants to add to them. He wants to broaden them. He wants to widen them. He wants to deepen them, their impact and their effect. And maybe sometimes in the wilderness season, that's what's happening with you. Sometimes it feels like God is saying, let go. It's a trust thing. It's a faith thing to let go. Otherwise, we're just showing really what our identity and security is built upon if we can't let it go. Now, the, the book of Romans says that the call and the gifts of God are irrevocable. So if God's given you something as a gift, he's, he, he's not going to remove it in a sense. What it's going to be, though, is maybe in the background for a season. 
And I, I, I use this illustration of cooking, you know, and I'm not the world's greatest cook at all in any way, shape or form. My kids will tell me that I, they know when my cooking is done because the smoke alarm goes off and really helpful, encouraging, edifying things that kids will say to you, as you would know if you've got kids. Um, but sometimes with some food, you, you know, when you're stirring it, you know, you're adding things in great, great, great. Sometimes other things you need to just let them simmer. You need to put them on the back burner, literally turn the heat down so you don't burn it and just let it simmer and bubble and let all those flavors just mingle and go within and uh, just kind of yeah sort of impact each other and out of those kind of sums that the the total you get is far richer than those individual pieces and in a funny way we're a bit like that sometimes with our lives that godly need to sometimes put aspects of us on the back burner so they simmer and they get richer and deeper so if you are in a wilderness Sometimes the prayer to pray is not actually get me out, but it's God, what do I need to learn? What do I need to let go of? God, what are you wanting to add to me and how do I embrace that? So we've talked about how the wilderness can be a place of direction and we've talked about how the wilderness can be a place of shaping or transformation. Um, please keep your questions coming. I've got a few and I'll be kind of coming back to them uh, towards the end. Um, you know, thoughts and feedback is great. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I want to know if this is helping you. Is this hitting you? Is this speaking to you? Is this challenging you? Is this encouraging you? I'd love to hear that um, as I look at my third point, which is, the third point is the wilderness actually allows God to expand our faith. So sometimes um, when we think about that story back in, in, the, in the scriptures, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they walked through the wilderness and they were guided by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when they moved, the people moved with them. So, you know, a question again you can ask is, well, why cloud? Why a pillar of cloud and why a pillar of fire? Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a desert. I know uh, I've got a friend on there who would know deserts far more than me. Um, and my understanding of deserts is, and I've been in a desert, but not for that long because I'm not crazy. But deserts are hot during the day, but really cold at night. And so I wonder if the pillar of cloud during the day would have given them shelter from the sun. But during the night, the fire would have provided light and warmth during the night. Now, the people moaned that God had abandoned them. But every day they got a pillar of cloud protecting them from the sun. And every night they got a pillar of fire protecting them from any threats of the darkness, you know, any kind of like coldness or any kind of attackers or enemies but no god's left us god let us god's let us die god's let us out to die he's why would he do that and then start, god starts giving them manna like every day they're getting manna they're getting manna they wake up there's manna there's enough manna for them to have three meals a day basically but don't keep it because you've got to trust that the next day comes the next day comes as manna the next day comes as manna they're still moaning God, God, God. And then quails come, you know, and like God kind of like keeps just giving them more. But God manifested himself to them, but in an unfamiliar and unusual way. It was outside their box. It was outside their understanding. It was outside, dare I say, their theology. They didn't see God's face, maybe, but they certainly felt his hand. 
Now, in the wilderness, it might feel like God's withdrawn. It might feel like he's removed himself, he's distanced. But actually, he hasn't. He hasn't. He is just manifesting his presence and his blessings in a different way. We've got to remember the promise of God is that he promises to never leave or forsake us. He's never going to abandon. He's never going to reject. Now, recognizing this does take faith because sometimes it can feel like God has just abandoned and let you go. And you're like, what? Especially when you've been on a faith journey to go where you are. And all of a sudden you're like, well, hang on. I'm here because you told me to come here. I'm here because you told me to do this. Like, why would you do that? And then all of a sudden just disappear. So you still need that faith. Now, faith is rooted in our perception of God who he is and what he does okay so our faith is related to how we perceive god it's shaped by who we think god is what we think about what he does what we believe he does what we believe he doesn't do and so actually faith some people will talk, tell you and i've heard this you may have heard this faith is spelled r-i-s-k risk but i don't think that's true i, I don't think that's right i would say faith is spelled t-r-u-s-t it's trust. Now, sometimes that trust does involve risk. Faith is about trust. Faith, actually, the word in Latin is where we get confidence from. Confidence, the, the, the English word, confides, is with faith, from faith. And so confidence, if you like, is a little picture of faith. We have confidence in it. We've got faith in something. We've got a trust in something. We feel assured that we're like, no, this is okay. This is works. But sometimes your confidence is put to the test. Your faith is put to the test. Sometimes there's a risk involved because of that trust. And I would, would just want to propose that God develops our faith by shaping our perception of who he is. I mean that sometimes what happens that what I mean when I say that is God challenges our perception of him when our perception of him, our understanding or knowledge of him is either insufficient incorrect or underdeveloped because he wants us to know who he is fully he doesn't want us to have kind of uh, distorted or warped or or, or um, inglorious views of him he wants us to understand who he is and you know his greatness and his goodness and his magnificence and sometimes i think things are engineered so he can say actually here i am this is what I'm like. I'm better than you think I was. I love you more than you think I, I do. I provide for you more than you think. I'll get an example from my own life. 2013 was a wilderness. You can see I've had a pattern of wilderness years, you know. I was on a ministry school. Um, I had, um, me and my wife, we'd made a faith decision to quit our jobs. Um, my wife is a surgeon and I was working in um, business management and we were living in London. And I'll say living the dream. It wasn't living the dream, but that's how it gets sold to you. But we felt a call to go to basically ministry school. Now, I had a background in ministry before then. My wife didn't. But it meant going to a ministry school in America, actually, in California. Um, now, we thought we'll go out, we'll have a year in California, you know, um, being the naive uh, Brits that we were, our understanding of California had been shaped by Hollywood. So we just thought beaches, we thought blue seas, we thought we were going to just go and be able to lie and sun and be amazing and wonderful for a year. And yeah, maybe read some books in, in a ministry school for a year. But when we got we went to America, we 
quickly discovered that North California, where we were in South California, are very, very, very different. Um, we did first year. It was fine. Um, but that was OK. That was our plan. But then we felt God say, I want you to do the second year. And that wasn't part of the plan. We're like, right. OK. We didn't have the money for it. We didn't have the money at all. And so we were like, right, what are we going to do here? Because, you know, we weren't allowed to work because we were going to be on student visas. So there was no way we could just pay for it. So like, what, what do we do? How does this all work? We, we did a, a ministry trip supporting and serving a church uh, for a couple of months in between first and second year, which we'd already committed to. And they you know, basically blessed us and paid, gave us some money. But the money was enough for flights to get to California for the second year. Nothing for tuition fees, nothing for living costs, nothing for food, nothing at all. So the money that we had, we booked the flight in faith. Now, everything in our brain, in my brain particularly, I've got a background in banking, as I shared. I get figures. I understand profit. I understand loss. I understand spending more than you have. I understand all that kind of stuff. My brain was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? All the money you've got, you're about to put it on a flight. And it's only a one-way flight because we couldn't afford to return. What are you doing? You're being stupid. You're being reckless. You're being foolish. All these kind of thoughts. The final weekend before we were due to fly out, we would fly out on a Wednesday, I remember it. We went to, uh, on that Saturday, Sunday, we went back to the church I grew up in and saw family, saw friends, etc. Now, our friends didn't know the situation, didn't know all the details. They didn't know everything at all. Um, they knew we were going back out for a second year for ministry school. And they're like, great, cool. And this is, I promise you, this is absolutely true. Every person we went to see, whether it was because we were trying to cram in breakfast, lunches, dinners, coffees with people, just to say, hey, see you in a year, we're going away, blah, 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 you know, catch up, catch up, catch up, see you, see you, see you. Without fail, every person we spoke to, every person we met gave us a gift of money, financial gift. And I don't have wealthy friends. <laughs> I don't have rich friends. So it wasn't like people were like millionaires going, oh, sure. And when we toted it, I mean, it was, it was, we were going from place to place. We're like, what is happening? By the end of the weekend, we had 90% of our tuition costs. We were, I think we had, we needed to get something like $7,000 and we had something like 6,800, something like that. So we were like, what? Now, nothing for living costs, but we had almost enough for tuition fees. So we flew out in faith going, right, God. We need you to come through for this. If you want us here, you'll keep us here, hoping that we're not being reckless and stupid and crazy. Whilst we're out there, we got an email one morning from someone who was like the most left field person in the world who said that they wanted to, A, pay the rest of our tuition fees, which was a couple hundred dollars, which is really kind of them. But also they wanted to give us $6,000 to help us get through for living costs, which was a massive chunk of our expenses, our rent, et cetera, et cetera. And I tell you all that stuff to say that it started off the wilderness going, God, what's happening? You brought us here. What, how, what? And by the end of it, I could, before I could say God was a provider, but by the end of it, I could say God was a provider because I'd lived it. I'd walked it out. I'd had a first-hand experience of God as a provider because it just happened. It happened. And, you know, we can only know God as provider when he provides for us. And sometimes it means that we get brought to a place where we need provision 
that only he can meet because then we can say, God, you are a provider. And it might not necessarily be provision. It can be he's merciful. It might be his kindness. It might be his goodness. It might be his love. It might be his loyalty or his faithfulness or his steadfastness. It could be all sorts of things because God wants us to know what he is like. And sometimes he works with us. He co-labors. He partners with us so that we understand and get insight to what he's like so that we can enjoy him for what he's like. Because I can now say to people, God provides this is what happened to me. I did nothing to it. I my brain, and I didn't think I wasn't like God. You're going to provide. I've got. I was scared. I was nervous. I was terrified. You know, my wife was. You know, model of faith. Me. Ah, you know, because faith is an active thing. Faith is a dynamic thing. Faith is an experience thing. It's not a cerebral thing. It's an experience thing. So sometimes the wilderness is because God is wanting to add that spiritual depth and maturity and like richness to you. But it's a painful thing because you come to the end of yourself, the end of your own resources, your own knowledge and go, God, you've got to do something. And he does. And it's a game changer. So what does it mean if you're in a wilderness? Cultivate your faith. Don't withdraw. Don't quit. Don't back off. Don't resign. Don't lay down. Lift your head and say, God, you've got to come through. God, you've got to come through and show me who you are. I mean, remember Moses, when he's arguing with God in Exodus, and this is an incredible story, he's arguing with God, he's bantering and bartering with God. And he's like, God, you took the, in effect, and I'm paraphrasing, you took the the Israelites out of Egypt. Now you're saying you're going to wipe them out because they're grumbling. Well, if you do, people are not going to notice that you're any different to the rest of the gods. Surely it's a more glorious thing, a more godly thing for you to, to spare them and do something incredible with them. And God's like, okay, because of you, Moses, I'll leave them. You see, like even that in that sense, that funny exchange is like, you know, that, that shows that that sense of what God's saying, which is that to only people can only know what God's like when God does things that only God can do. So if you feel like in the moment in this season of your life, this wilderness season, you can't see God's face, his presence. You can't feel his presence, for example. It doesn't feel close. Maybe you don't feel like you can hear his voice. He's not speaking to you. You know, he's not speaking to you with your heart or he's not speaking to you through scripture. You know, like, God, you're quiet, you're silent. It's a stone wall. Maybe you don't even feel like you don't feel his breath, his spirit. Look for what his hand is doing. Look at what he is doing, not what he's not doing. And lean and focus towards those things, because complaining actually quenches and kills our faith. But if you can develop an attitude of gratitude, it can help remember God's doing something. God's still with me. He's just doing things in a different way than I'm used to. So, God, I'm going to focus on what you are doing, not what you're not doing, because then I'll remind myself you are with me. You've not left me. You've not forsaken me. It's a game changer. When you read Psalms, and we'll talk about my psalm journey in a minute when we talk about another wilderness season. So many of the Psalms start off with you know, David's having a moan, he's having a grumble, you've done this, people are doing this, I'm going to die, my enemies hate me, I'm being hunted, I'm being despised. And you read them. But there's a shift through some of those psalms often, like, you know, almost halfway through, where he kind of almost says, but God, you're doing this, and I see this, and I understand this, and I recognise this. And you can see them moving from complaining and grumbling to thanksgiving and praise. Complaining and grumbling and telling God what you're not happy with is not wrong, because it's in the psalms. But what you do with it 
is an insight into where we're really at. So I would say complaining quenches faith if you stay there, but develop an attitude of gratitude so you can go, God, this is what you're doing. Remind yourself of testimonies, what God has already done before you in your life. You know, if you need provision, write down all the times he has provided for you. If you know that you need uh, you know, an encounter with his, his, him to like maybe change a situation, be it like a game changer, write down a list of all the times he's done it for you before. Remember, because what he's done before, he'll do it again, because when he starts something, he always brings it down to completion. He's faithful. So remind yourself of testimonies. Remind yourself of promises, what he said he wants to do, because he's loyal, he's faithful. What he says he'll do, he'll do. When things feel horrible and rubbish and not great, remind yourself of what he's done and what he says he's going to do. And sometimes that's going to be the thing that gets you through the day. And I've been there. So we talked about how the wilderness is about direction. The wilderness is about shaping and transforming. The wilderness is about expansion or expanding our faith and how we understand who God is. And fourth and finally, the fourth part of the wilderness. And again, if this is helpful, let me know. I love hearing some feedback. It's really helpful for me. Um, and I'm talking to a webinar, I'm talking out there. So a wilderness of a webinar. I can't see faces. Um, the wilderness allows God to deepen our relationship with him. Okay, because it's not just about our head knowing things about God. It's actually about encountering and interacting with him because Christianity is meant to be experienced. It's meant to be intimate. It's, it's meant to be heart to heart. It's not meant to be head to head. Um, let me talk about that scripturally. So, you know, I'm not just making this stuff up. So in the wilderness, God took his people. And now they knew him to a level because they had an understanding from Abraham. They would have told, um, you know, they would have told each other the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the Joseph, the patriarchs, probably to try and remind ourselves, we're the people of God. Is there in their slavery? So they knew about God to a level, to, a, to an understanding. But he reconnected with them in a new way. His relationship with them was deepened in the wilderness because he took them, the people of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, and he formed a covenant with them. Because they didn't have a covenant before. God made a covenant with Abraham, but the Mosaic covenant was a covenant with the people. A covenant was like a pledge to always be with them. He shifted their relationship. He shifted how they would interact with him. He gave them the law, which is summarized by the Ten Commandments. So he made it clear to them what it meant to walk in harmony and unity with him. The sacrificial system was established, which defined what worship looked like and what was important to God with all the different sacrifices. And obviously there's so many different types, but they all correlate to different things. There was a legal system established, which helped to him to, to define what right living looked like. So in the law, there's straight away an understanding about what holiness looks like, right living with God and devotion. And I would say that, um, the wilderness, therefore, is an opportunity for God to call them to greater intimacy and to greater holiness. And that's often the case with us as well. So maybe the wilderness is actually God calling you to new things. Maybe it's new commitments. Maybe new sacrifices. Maybe new standards. Now, remember to the Israelites, God appeared on a mountaintop, hidden in thunder, hidden in lightning. 
And that would have changed how they saw him because they would have seen that and they knew he was bigger than they thought. He wasn't domesticated. He wasn't safe. He wasn't like a nice little tidy idol like the Egyptians would have had or a nice little kind of, you know, painting and or picture or carving that they all bow down. No, no, no. It's a thundering, booming, expanding, exploding cloud. That's why they turned to Moses and said, Moses. We'll die if we get closer, but you can go up. You can go up, you know, about throwing someone under the bus. To us, the wilderness is the, can be the same thing. God can drop a revelation or truth on us and it throws everything out. It changes everything. Now, God never contradicts his word. He never contradicts scripture, but he does contradict our understanding of it. Let me say that again, because I think for some, I don't know, I feel like maybe for some people that's something that might be key. He never contradicts his word. He never contradicts scripture, but he does contradict our understanding of it. Because as we grow, God wants to reveal more of himself to us. And sometimes we need a bigger vision of God because our other one is too limited, is too narrow, is too black and white, is too restrictive, not only of God, but of us, you know, and obviously there's that phrase, which we, you know, maybe you've heard, I'm sure you have, you know, that if you, as soon as you put God into a box, it's not God. You're not actually worshiping God. You're worshiping God who's in your image. You know, we're made in the image of God, but when we restrict God, we actually are worshiping God who's in our own image. So I want to be clear with that. God does contradict our understanding of scripture when he's like, no, no, I'm actually not like that at all. I'm more like this. And you're like, oh, okay. I thought that meant this but it means that. Now, to do that, he actually often needs to show us, firstly, why our current vision of him is insufficient. And that's pretty unsettling. That's pretty disconcerting. And what that means is you end up going, kind of, something like, God, I knew you're like this, but you're actually like this as well. You're, you're bigger than this. Like I knew you were kind, but you're so kind. Because knowing something about God and actually encountering something about God is actually two very different things, right? And I'll give you an example from my own life, is what I've got. 2006, another relate, another wilderness season. Um, now, this one, I, I basically had an exceptionally traumatic relational breakdown, okay? Um, awful, awful. All sorts of fallout, all sorts of implications, all sorts of consequences. It was horrendous. Uh, literally overnight, everything that I had going on in my life just crumbled and fell apart. It was like, what has happened? Um, and I, I was in a place where I literally, all I could do was, uh, and I remember I, <clears throat> I lived in an apartment and it was next to a, a kind of a wood or like a small kind of forest. Um, and there was a bench, which was about a 10 minute walk into the wood. Um, and the only people who went to this wood were like basic dog walkers, you know. Um, and so in the morning I'd get up and I wasn't sleeping. So I was going in crazy hours and I would just take, I'd take my Bible and I'd go and I'd sit on a bench. I didn't want to talk to people. And I didn't really want to talk to God, actually. It's like, it's, you know, when things are bad when you don't want to talk to God, like it was one of those. And all I could do was read a psalm. <clears throat> and so I was like, I'm going to read a psalm a day. 
And I'm going to keep reading the psalm until I get something that actually makes sense or resonates or speaks to me. Um, I haven't got the energy mentally, emotionally to do anything else. And as I was going through these psalms, uh, and this this whole period kind of was around about it was about nine months, and obviously it was like the ninth, longest nine months of my life. You know, you look back now and you go, nine months is not that long in the scheme of things. But when you're in it, you're in it, and it fills it. I noticed two things in the book of Psalms that just kept repeating and repeating and repeating to me, and they still with me now to this day. The first one is the amount of times God is called something like the steadfast one the steadfast one. Now I knew that intellectually. I knew that theologically. I'd been, you know, I'd been to sort of Bible college and I'd been taught that and I'd teach sermons on it and all that sort of, I knew it was the steadfast one. And the other one was steadfast one and the most high. He's the most high, the most high. You see it in the Psalm, most high, most high. Again, I know he's most high. I know he's sovereign. I've done this stuff, you know, da, 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 da. I knew them. I knew them, but I hadn't encountered them. I lived them out and over the case of the next nine months which basically ended up going from horrendousness to utter redemption utter restoration and utter transformation to the point where i you know it was one of those kind of rags to riches i came out with, with the best outcome you could ever get out of that which was a god thing um i, I don't want to go into too many details because of various reasons but the point was it came out flying colors etc etc I could look back and go, God was the steadfast one because he walked with me every day through it. Even when I had the days where I was just looking at the clock, willing the clock to get to bedtime so I could sleep to get through it. Like, how long have you got? I feel like, you know, things were dragging on so much. I'd look up and it was 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, he was steadfast. He was loyal. He was faithful with me. And I knew he was the most high because those that journey, that nine month journey, there was such interventions and conversations and injection of resources and people coming out and all these things that just were sovereign interruptions that showed he was steering and navigating and getting me through what was going on. He was the most high and he could do that. And he was doing that. I know them before that time. Afterwards, I knew them in my heart, not just my head. And I'm not saying that God brought that circumstance around to teach me these things, because I don't think a good father does that. What I do think is, though, that God will take what is happening and he'll work within it to show us things. And I think that was gone. God was like, there's a time here now I can draw close and I can be a good father and I'm going to show him and teach him. I'm steadfast and I'm the most high. My point is this. In the wilderness, God can shift and redefine aspects of your relationship with him because he wants us to know him. So I want to encourage you to keep close to God. And if you feel parameters of your relationship with him shifting and changing, especially when it comes to like your devotional life or holiness, lean into it if you feel like god's challenging you about certain areas of your life and holiness to stop things or to start things that's this lean into it if what was been working for you as a devotional life is now just feels like it's a plateaued or dare i say stagnant it's time to change it. it's time to mix it up it's time to go right god what do we do how are we going to interact how are we going to connect because this isn't life bringing anymore for me so Let's find something different because, you know, I interact with my children in different ways. I don't speak to my children the same way every single day. I don't interact with them all the time in the same way. I want to have a depth and a wide breadth of a relationship with them and a relational language with them. And I think God's the same with us. God initiates this kind of thing. So he'll take the lead and he'll guide. 
Now, be okay if some of your theological pillars or your convictions or your understandings are shaking you or or, cha- or being challenged. That's okay because sometimes God's like, do you know what? I'm bigger than your doctrine. I'm bigger than your theology. Keep your heart soft to God. Keep open with people and investigate. I'm not saying throw your brains out. I'm not saying all of a sudden, you know, we're going to start, you know, okay, <laughs> whatever. I'm not saying you become heretical, but not everything that is different is heretical. Keep soft to God. Keep open with people. Investigate leaning because sometimes God likes to, he renews our mind. Okay. He renews our mind. And that actually just means repent. Repent just means change. So sometimes we need to repent and we shift our beliefs. And, you know, for some people, you might be like, well, what? Well, I guarantee that today, right now, what you believe about God is very different to the first day you were a Christian or the first day you were saved or a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. If it isn't, then there might be a problem because we're growing and changing so actually it's a relationship it's a relational dynamic with god so sometimes he does challenge things and he does shape things Whoa. um now don't be surprised if uh like i said your devotional times have kind of feel a little bit flat because that's just an invitation and a call for reinvention and freshness so it's a time to experiment it's time to try some things talk to other people what works for them you know mix it up give it a go just see because again relationships are meant to be vibrant and full of life and dynamic and organic not static or stagnant or or like you know machine predictable routine ultimately and this is my conclusion and obviously if you've got questions i'd love to hear them if it's not questions and testimonies or saying uh, i want to be praying for people at the end so you know again if that's something you want then just maybe again in the q a just ping in some things i could be praying for um i want to make sure this is serving you but the four reasons we have the wilderness seasons is look the first one is god directs us and wilderness is where god's directing us the second time we can reason we can be in a reason a wilderness is because god's shaping us the third reason why we can sometimes be in a wilderness is because God wants to teach us about him. And the fourth reason why sometimes we're in a, re- in a wilderness is because God wants to meet us. You know, the promise of it all is that we only ever pass through the wilderness. We only ever pass through the wilderness. The wilderness never become our home. It's temporary. He promises, God promises to lead us to green pastures. Okay. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness so i want to encourage you to keep walking forward keep walking forward don't pray for this season to end necessarily if you know god's in it and doing stuff in it if you don't know that then absolutely pray for it to end but if you do think now oh, god's doing something in me don't pray for it to end but pray for grace and eyes to see and ears to hear what god is doing so you can lean in and partner with it because that's what jesus did when jesus is ministering if you remember when you read the gospels he says you know I, I, he, he's praying i only do what i see the father doing i only say what i hear the father saying what he's saying is i want to have eyes to see what god's doing i want to have ears to hear what god's doing so that i can say yep i'm going to do that and i'm going to lean in and partner with it so i'm going to um just start to pray now again if you've got questions keep them coming through there's a couple of people who are starting to ask some things so i just want to pray um and you know obviously you'll get this recording sent to you so to watch it again feel free to share it um and feel free to you know if you want to drop me an email i'd love to have some feedback i'll probably put a little survey, survey form coming through um but watch out you'll get this coming through and um, i really hope this has been a blessing and encouragement for you um in, in different things but i'm going to pray for people and 
and uh, yeah, hope to be hearing from you uh, again. So, <clears throat> Father, I, I want to pray and ask for everyone who's on this call, this webinar, um, whether people are listening to it live right now or whether it's people who are listening to it on repeat on the playback. Um, Father, we all have wilderness seasons where you are leading us out of somewhere, you're leading us to somewhere, but that kind of place in the middle can feel so lonely, so desolate, so so desperate. We can feel insecure and anxious. We can feel like you've abandoned us. We can feel like we failed, feel like we've done something wrong. So, Father, I want to pray for everyone who's listening now, God, that you would come close to them now, Holy Spirit, and just touch their heart, speak to them, encourage them. Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray for clarity to come where clarity is needed. Lord, I pray for definition, Lord, where definition um, <clears throat> is needed, Lord. I pray for, um, Father, that you would uh, just answer soul, kind of deep questions that people are carrying. Lord, sometimes these wilderness seasons come because we're almost like asking, asking why questions, as, as it were, Father. Uh, so, Lord, I pray for that. Lord, I pray for, for people whose wilderness season is uh, where they just feel like they've just been trudging and plodding, or they've had like long-term challenges, whether that's long-term challenges in their family, their children, or in their marriages, Father, or whether it's kind of with health stuff, or whether it's with, uh, you know, kind of job or career stuff, Father. I pray you would come close, Father. I ask you, God, that you would give people eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing. Lord, I pray that they would see your hand. Lord, I pray for spiritual insight, that people would know what you're doing so they can know how to respond to it. But Lord, I pray that they would know, most importantly, you are with them, that you have not abandoned them, that it's not a valley of death, but it's a valley of a shadow of death. And Lord, I pray you would encourage them. Lord, even this week, Lord, even this week, there would be some encouragement that comes to them, something that comes that is as clear kind of, out of the blue God thing that just shows you haven't forgotten them, you haven't abandoned them. And it's actually this wilderness season is part of the journey that they need to go through, but it's not the end of the journey, Father. It's just a part of the journey. So Lord, they're just passing through, just passing through. So Lord, I pray that for everyone listening here, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a few practical things before we, we wrap up. Um, it's really good to talk to people. Um, I'm going to send an email around, which is going to have some application questions just to kind of process and chew on what this is about. Um, but one of the things I put at the end is it's really good to chat with someone. Now, find someone to be talking with. Um, obviously, you know, if you're married, you've got your spouse. That's fantastic. But sometimes your spouse isn't the easiest person to talk to, particularly if they're part of the reason for the wilderness or, you know, there's a, you've got the same perspective as they have. You need someone outside. So find a trusted friend. Um, obviously, another one is you can find is that there's a pastor, someone you can talk with, someone who's a leader, a spiritual leader. Um, for some people, they're spiritual formation directors as a fancy title for someone who kind of is involved with maybe discipleship or a coach. If you know someone who's a coach, you can give you an objective uh thing um obviously that's something that i do do and you're more than welcome to reach out to me and we can talk about whether that's a good fit or not for you um but you finding someone who has a different perspective a bit of detachment a bit of objectivity can be really helpful um and someone just to kind of confide in and support you and walk with you and and uh, pray with you so i would encourage you to do that um just have a think through so you're not on your own you don't feel like the wilderness is a lonely place you know you're able to share things um but bless you so much thank you so much for your time thank you for uh, whether you're here now live or whether you're um, watching this on playback later um 
feel free to drop me an email. It's anthony at anthonyhilda.com for thoughts, comments, feedback, suggestions. Um, and you would have noticed I sent an email, I think yesterday or the day before, telling you about webinars next week where I'm talking about frustration, three keys to fighting frustration with. There's a bit of an overlap there. So, you know, again, if you're around for that, it'd be great to um, see you or hear you. Um, but bless you and um, have a great week, a great weekend. And, uh, you know, and I hope I hear and see from you again soon. All the best. Take care. God bless.